When it comes to the modern slasher, few are as recognizable as the hockey mask-wearing, machete-wielding maniac Jason Voorhees. His main motivation has always been to chop up young adults in whatever way possible. As the series progressed, audiences were left rooting for the killer and wishing death upon the sinful victims. But I mean, come on, look at how cool this guy is. But where on earth has he been all these years? It has been far too long since we've gotten a proper Friday the 13th film. 12 years removed from the Platinum Dunes release means we are currently in the longest stretch without a Friday the 13th since the release of the original in 1980. And that's certainly not for a lack of trying. After the success of the reboot in 2009, it seemed obvious that there would be another film. Countless films were rumored, including a direct sequel to the reboot, a prequel, and even a found footage story. Today, on the horror movie that almost was, we're taking a look at the film that came closest to entering production, Nick Antosca's. Friday the 13th, 3D. Even with that title, some of you may be confused, and I get it. There already is a film titled Friday the 13th Part 3D, but no, this would not have been a remake of that film. Instead, this would be a regular Friday the 13th movie with modern 3D effects. Sorry, no red and blue glasses. Another question you may be asking is, who exactly is Nick Antosca? While he's certainly no household name, especially given the fact that I don't even know how to pronounce it. He has been on the rise in Hollywood. He created the award-winning Hulu show The Act, starring Patricia Arquette and Joey King. He's even producing the new Chucky TV show with Don Mancini. So he seems pretty well equipped to give us something at least halfway decent. Now, when it comes to the Friday the 13th timeline, things can get rather confusing. Almost every film adds a new wrinkle and brings multiple continuity errors. By the time the reboot came around, those trying to keep track of all those changes exhaled a sigh of relief. Fuck. Yes. Elements were taken from the first four Friday films and condensed into one film. So we just get to start from where we left and continue the story with those leads, right? Right? Wrong! We've got yet another reboot on our hands. At least that's the best way to describe it. The film takes place in 1988 and makes reference to Friday the 13th lore while changing details. Like in this, Jason drowns in 1966, and his mom kills six counselors the next year, instead of just two. If it weren't for the new concepts being introduced, you could almost be tricked into thinking it's just another Friday sequel. One aspect of the script that I know fellow Friday fans will love is the inclusion of children at the camp. Apart from part six, the counselors are never actually in charge of kids. Adding the kids to the story really adds a sense of urgency and tension. Unfortunately, they're only present in the first act and are shipped back to their parents at about the 40-page mark. Not to mention the fact that Jason isn't even introduced while they're still around, so you don't really fear for their safety at all. So while it's nice to see the gimmick used, it's really not used to its full potential. Speaking of story, there's not really much of one. Not that that's a problem, because it's a Friday the 13th film after all but it often feels like the script is just relying too much on 80s nostalgia rather than actually trying to set any kind of horror up. Sure, we get a typical slasher sex scene, but it's also some of the most awkward description of sex I've ever read. The word silent is used way more often than I'd like, especially when referring to a sex scene between teens. But the horror is sporadic and logic is constantly thrown out the window. For example, the first kill we see is of the camp's owner, Duckworth. Great name, by the way. 
The big deal isn't that he's been killed, it's that no one notices he's gone. The counselors don't seem to notice when they return, and even the female cook, who Duckworth had just been playing strip fish with, a play on strip poker and go fish, doesn't ask about his whereabouts. He just disappears and no one cares. The counselors themselves really fall in well with the stereotypical characters that usually inhabit these movies. I mean, just look at these descriptions. And that's not even mentioning the fact that we have a stoner character randomly named Weezer. With stereotypical characters also comes very stereotypical dialogue. In fact, the first 10 pages of the script are just poor dialogue scenes between the counselors. It takes so long to get going that it's easy to forget that it's supposed to be a Friday the 13th movie and not some sequel to Meatballs. There's not even an opening kill. And the dialogue isn't even good. Your mom jokes? Really? The only exciting moment comes from a near drowning, but even then, it just adds some confusion to Jason's motivations, since the counselors save a kid from drowning and prove to be at least semi-responsible. But this brings us to the main point of discussion, Jason Voorhees. There's always the question of whether we're getting hillbilly mongoloid Jason or teleporting zombie Jason. Here, he's described in a similar fashion to the hulking and realistic nature of Derek Mears' Jason, at least when he first appears. But he's only seen clearly, and for the first time with his trademark hockey mask, at the 66 page mark. That's a long time to wait. And he's not even referred to as Jason until those final few pages. Instead, he's just referred to as the killer. Combined with the weird plot structure, it's easy to forget that this is even supposed to be a Friday the 13th movie. Maybe he does this to make some of the changes to the character a little more palatable. Because there are a lot of them. First, he uses Crystal Lake to heal Jason's wounds. Then, he gets stronger every time he dies. He doesn't really stalk his victims, he just goes outright for the kill. Oh right, and he just full-on sprints in this movie. Now, not all of these changes are bad, but when you make so many changes, the essence of the character almost gets lost. It's not all terrible though. One aspect that I really love about when they finally introduce Jason is the counselors hearing his massive footsteps in the woods, and looking into the dark woods thinking they see a hulking shape. It's nice that they're not treating Jason like an omnipotent ninja. Then when the kids see him for the first time clearly, and with his mask, it's all daylight and they're all there to witness it. Jason's even sprinting up a storm in this and it makes him even scarier. He doesn't simply wait for you to be alone. It's a cool aspect and is probably the highlight of the entire script. One questionable aspect is they have little Jason wearing a Mickey Mouse mask. And it makes me wonder how the writer ever thought in a million years that Disney would license out Mickey to be in a slasher. Maybe just wishful thinking. The biggest issue with Jason is that he doesn't show up until 25 pages in. This may work for other slashers, but not a Friday film. Even if he's only hinted at, we need a heavy dose of Jason sprinkled throughout the story, and this just doesn't give us that. And even then, he's not actually seen in the flesh until 32 pages, when we finally get the first on-screen kill of the script. That's right, a Friday movie that takes a half an hour to actually show anyone murdered. And technically, it cuts away right as Jason grabs the guy, so really, it's more like 44 pages till we get an actual kill on screen. Don't get me wrong, there's definitely a good Friday movie in here. If the film were to forego the opening 10 minutes of counselor time at the beach and start at the campfire scene where the legend of Pamela and Jason Voorhees is told, it would have been much improved. Some of the kills are fun and the character interactions can be charming at times, but the issue is often with pacing. 
the kills need to be more spread out, and the horror needs to permeate more of the film, rather than just the latter half. So why oh why, after getting so close to production, did the studio decide to shelf the film? Well, Exhibit A. That's right, the poor performance by Rings at the box office sent a message to studio execs that audiences didn't want a return of long dormant series. You know, despite the fact that The Ring and Friday the 13th have about as much in common with each other as applesauce and dry cement. Regardless of why, the film simply didn't end up happening. Which brings us to the most important part of why this film wasn't made, the lawsuit. If you haven't heard, Friday the 13th has been going through its fair share of legal battles. So much so that it's kind of hard to keep up at this point. Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham have been in a dispute over the rights for years, with certain rights being split between them. Miller owns Friday the 13th and the story of Pamela and drowned son Jason, but Cunningham owns the rights to the hockey mask wearing slasher post part 1. It briefly seemed to be reconciled, but then spun out of control, and we're unfortunately still no closer to seeing Jason return to screen. When it finally does happen, will younger generations even know who Jason is? Will a reboot be needed just to inform them of the hockey mask wearing exploits? Will 3D even be a thing? Either way, I can see this script resurfacing, because while it has a ton of issues, there are interesting concepts there. And most importantly, it's got Jason killing horny teens, which, when you simplify it, is really what Friday the 13th is all about. Thank you for watching our show. If you like what you see, please subscribe to our Joe Blow Horror Videos channel, tell your friends who like this sort of content, and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all our latest videos. We're an independent company, and we appreciate all of your support.